You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning, church. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Christina. Uh, a very good morning, everyone. The Lord bless you. Great. So, uh, if you realize, since the beginning of the year, we've been talking a lot about being um, priests before God. Priests are mediators, just a reminder. Uh, as mediators, we represent God before the people around us. And as mediators, we also represent the people around us before God as well. Now, before we go any further, I want us to realize how our priestly identity changes things. So here are three uh, myths. Not responding. All right, here we go. Three myths dispelled by our identity as priests. So what are these myths? Myth number one, only mature Christians can draw near to God. Young Christians cannot. Not true. As a priest, it is your privilege to draw near to God, regardless of how mature a Christian you might think yourself to be. Myth number two, only pastors and full-time ministers can build a church spiritually. Lay members cannot. Amen? No. Not true. As a priest, you are a living stone. Whether or not you are a pastor, God is using you to build up this church as a spiritual house. Finally, myth number three, only Christian work is sacred before God. Other secular work is not. Now, this again is totally off. As a priest, you represent God wherever you are, bringing flourishing wherever you are. Whether you work in church or in the workforce or at home or in school, uh, you are called to use your work to serve the Lord. Now, people, our identity as priests is super practical, actually. And uh, these three myths that we have just busted are just the tip of the iceberg. Now, so far, we've spoken a lot this year about what it means to represent God before people, especially in the area of work. This morning, though, we're going to look at what it means to represent the people around us before God, and that is through prayer. Now, if you're not a Christian and you're here, I want to assure you that the topic of prayer is super relevant to you as well. I think it's really unfortunate that prayer is often seen as just a religious activity because in reality, to pray is to be human. Now, I was about four years old when I had this really terrible nightmare, right? So it's something to do with a unicorn or a lion, I can't remember which, but whatever it was, it was terrifying. I was terrifying. 
Now, as I was experiencing that fear, I began to call for help, right? And I wasn't calling to my parents to save me. I was looking to someone greater, someone beyond my parents to save me. Now, I was only four years old. I was not a Christian. Uh, I knew next to nothing about religion or God. Yet, when I found myself in that situation, I instinctively cried out to God. I didn't call out to any particular God. I didn't bow my head or fold my hands or kneel. But that cry to the heavens, that was prayer. To pray is to be human. It's where, when we are in that place of desperation, of helplessness, that we discover that to be human is to be dependent. We need people. We need their wisdom, their resources. We need their help. But we also need God. Right? Even if it's just to ask Him, why me? Why am I going through this? Are you even there? Or just to cry out to Him, please help me. And people, that is already prayer. So even if you're not a Christian, this sermon on prayer is for you. Because to pray is to be human. So over the next three Sundays, we're going to be looking at uh, Jesus' teaching on prayer, what's famously called the Lord's Prayer. And we want to learn again the fundamentals of prayer. No, we all know how to pray, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that we know what prayer really is. It's like I may know how to make words rhyme, but that doesn't mean I know poetry. I may know how to use a paint and a paintbrush, but that doesn't mean I understand art. We all know how to pray, but that doesn't mean we appreciate how powerful, how beautiful, how personal prayer truly is. So this morning, we're going to learn the right way to pray, and Jesus will teach us that there are three ways to pray. Firstly, we can pray like a Pharisee. Secondly, we can pray like a pagan. Or finally, we can pray like a priest. The first two ways are wrong ways to pray, but the final one is the right way. So let's begin with the first way, praying like a Pharisee. Sometimes people come to me and ask me, Pastor, can you teach me how to pray? My usual encouragement is that there's no real right way to pray. Uh, prayer is like talking, except that you're talking to God. So prayer is, what is most important about it is bringing your heart before God. So it's okay to pray alone, it's okay to pray with people, it's okay to pray aloud, it's okay to pray silently, it's okay to pray with your eyes open or your eyes closed, in a kneeling position while walking, in English, singlish, whatever, there's no real right way to pray. But Jesus says, actually, there's a clearly wrong way to pray. He says in verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now the first wrong way to pray, Jesus says, is to pray like the hypocrites. Now who are these hypocrites? Jesus is referring to the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders, the spiritual gurus who have set the standard for living right religious lives. But the truth is, these Pharisees, they didn't really love God. Jesus said, instead, they love being seen. They love being noticed. They love being acknowledged and praised. And Jesus labels them as hypocrites. Now, you see, hypocrites are people who don't live in line with their beliefs. 
So the Pharisees claim to believe in God, that God is holy, that God should be feared above man, that God is more important than anyone else. The Pharisees claim to believe in the importance of prayer, that prayer is vital, that prayer is a privilege. These were the things the Pharisees said they believed, but in reality, they didn't treat God like He is even real, like He is holy. They didn't pray like God is most important to them. They didn't treat prayer like a privilege. Instead, they treated prayer like a platform, like a stage, so that they could be seen and applauded by other people. The Pharisees were hypocrites because the way they prayed was the complete opposite of what they claimed to believe. Now, people, aren't we all like that many times? Don't we often like to do the right things so that we look good? Now, even before talking about coming to this topic on prayer, Jesus says in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Truth is, so many times we just want to be seen. We want to be noticed. We want to be acknowledged, to be praised. And so in public, we walk without dragging our feet. We chew our food with our mouths closed. We speak more politely. We dress better. We talk about some of our respectable hobbies, but our more unusual hobbies, they remain private. And of course, the way we post on social media is often in the same vein. Just like the Pharisees, we are often more mindful of the people around us than the God who is with us. And this also tends to shape the way we pray. Our prayer ends up being manward rather than being Godward. Now, as a pastor, I'm often praying publicly. I'm often praying among people. And I've got to ask myself, is this how I'm praying? Do I pray like a Pharisee? Am I praying to impress others? Has prayer become a platform for me to perform my holiness for everyone to see? And if you are a leader in our church, these are questions you need to ask yourself. But even if you are not a leader, you could still be a Pharisee at heart. Maybe the reason you avoid praying in public is because you don't think you pray so well. Right? You don't think your prayers will impress people. You don't think your prayers will help people think well of you. And so the reason you are reluctant to pray is because you are most concerned about people's opinions of you. And so the same love that the Pharisees had for people's attention is the same love that keeps you from praying. Prayer is meant to come from a place of neediness, of weakness, of dependence. But as Pharisees, we use our prayer to cover up our weaknesses, to project strength and self-sufficiency. And prayer becomes a platform to feed our own pride. Now, Jesus says this is the wrong way to pray. Praying like a Pharisee is to pray out of pride. And James 4 tells us, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Jesus said that when we pray like Pharisees, God does not receive our prayers. James tells us that God even rejects our prayers. This is the wrong way to pray. Let's look at the second way which is to pray like a pagan. Now, this is the second wrong way to pray. Jesus says in verse 7, 
And when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. The Gentiles are those who are not Jews. They are pagans, which means that they don't worship the God of the Bible. They have their own gods and they have their own way of praying. Now, there are a number of differences in the way that Pharisees and pagans pray. Pharisees are all about public prayer, about being seen and noticed. But pagans are all about praying enough, about praying sufficiently, praying long prayers, praying multiple times a day, praying repetitiously. Now, put another way, Pharisees value quality prayers, but pagans value a quantity of prayers. And the way they approach prayer is shaped by the way they approach God. Pharisees see God as someone to attain to, to reach to his level. And so the Pharisees' main concern is whether I am good enough for God and therefore good enough for other people. The pagan, however, sees God as someone to appease, to satisfy, to make him happy. God doesn't help you for free. You've got to work hard to earn God's favor. And so the pagan's main concern is whether he's done enough. The Pharisee uses prayer as a platform for self-promotion, prayer as a stage to be seen by people. But the pagan uses prayer as an incantation. Prayer is superstitious, hocus-pocus. Prayer is all about pushing God's buttons in the right sequence to get the desired results. So the pagan uses prayer for self-advancement. He believes that chanting certain phrases will earn him the attention and the favor of God. But at the end of the day, God looks upon Pharisees as proud hypocrites. He rejects the prayers of Pharisees. And God looks upon pagans as delusional. Pagans think that because they have put in all these effort, God will now answer them for their many words. But in reality, all the lengthy chanting, praying three times, five times, seven times a day, God is not one bit impressed by these things. To him, it is just heaping up empty phrases. So the way the pagan prays is like a crazy person babbling. Right? There's a lot of sliver flying around. There's a lot of noise that's generated, but it's complete gibberish. It's nonsense. And so God doesn't even bother paying attention to it. Right? The prayers of the pagan are not heard by God. Now you see, pagans don't know who they are praying to. They think God is cheap, that he's transactional, that God can be bought. But God is not a genie in the lamp. You don't just summon him and then make your three wishes. It doesn't work like that because that's not who God is. God is holy. God is like nothing else on earth. Now the, the prophet Habakkuk put it like this. not responding. Can you help me get the next slide? Thank you. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. If pagans understood God's holiness, instead of babbling endlessly in prayer, they would be silent. You know, some weeks ago, I, I suddenly felt unwell in the middle of the night, just out of nowhere, and I thought to myself, oh dear, I better pray. But almost immediately, you know how it is, you get distracted, and so I didn't pray. Right? And then after a while, that sense of unwellness 
uh, it also faded away. So I went to bed and I was about to fall asleep and I suddenly remembered, oh dear, I forgot to pray. And immediately after that came this thought, I better pray. If I don't pray, maybe God will let me fall sick again. Whoa. Now in that moment, I caught myself, I was thinking like, am I thinking like a pagan? It was like, I need to pray in order to appease God, right? Prayer is like a button to push to make God happy. If not, maybe God might strike me ill. Now, what kind of thinking is this? This is the God who saved me while I was still a sinner. And here I am thinking as if God has zero initiative, right? As though God isn't good, as though God doesn't love me and hasn't shown me mercy all my days. What an insult to the holy God. And so I refused to pray that prayer for healing. I felt like if I did pray that way, it would be such a dishonor to God. And so I kept silence before Him. People, do we pray like pagans? Is prayer just a good luck charm? Something we do before we rush into our exam halls, something we do before making a major presentation, before seeing a doctor for your health screening results? Is prayer something we do three, four, five times a day to ensure God's protection over us and over our interests? Do we pray and even fast just to get God to do something for us? Now, if we didn't do all these things, are we thinking that God's love for you might suddenly fail? That His goodness might suddenly cease? That His commitment to you might suddenly waver? Now, when we pray this way, we insult our holy God. Jesus says that when we pray like pagans, our prayer falls flat to the ground. It doesn't rise before God. And so to imagine that we can manipulate God through prayer is delusional. This is the second way we pray, and again, it is the wrong way to pray. Let's look at the third and final way, which is to pray like a priest. Jesus has provided us with two wrong ways to pray. Now here's the right way. And there are two parts to praying the right way. Firstly, Jesus says, pray in secret. In verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus says, go into that secret place where there are no prying eyes, where there are no listening ears. It's just you in that secret place. But Jesus tells us, you won't be alone because God will be there with you as well. God is the Father who is in secret. And when we put aside all the fanfare, all the hype, all the opinions of other people, and we just say, God, I'm here, and you're looking in prayer for God, Jesus says, God will be there. And not only will God be there, but you will have His attention. And not only will you have His attention, but God is ready to reward you. Now, Jesus is not saying that we should never pray publicly, right? Never pray with other people. Always pray alone, right? When you want to pray, shut yourself in some room and just pray by yourself. That's not what he's saying, right? Because Jesus himself, he prays with his disciples. He prays publicly. So that's not what he's saying. Jesus is revealing to us that prayer is an invitation not only from God, but also an invitation 
to God, to find God, to meet God, to encounter God, and to have His undivided attention. Now, the heart of the matter is not whether it's private prayer or public prayer. The heart of the issue is whether you are praying in a Godward direction or for other people to hear. And Jesus is saying that the best place to cultivate a Godward heart of prayer is by accepting this invitation to the secret place. Now, this invitation is actually a privilege that was mainly extended to the priests. In the Old Testament, God encountered and spoke to all kinds of people. Uh, He did miracles through some people. And more often than not, God was the one taking the initiative to encounter these people. But with the priests, it was different. Of all the people, the priests in the Old Testament, they were invited to remain in God's presence, to guard His presence. And once a year, the high priest was invited into the most holy place, the most secret place, you could say. And there, God would wait. And what Jesus is saying is that all of us now have that priestly privilege. We are invited to seek God as though we are those priests, as though we are like the high priests going into the most secret place to encounter God. And people, this is a tremendous privilege. Now, there's a second part to praying like a priest, and that is to pray with sincerity. Verse 8, Do not be like the Gentiles, the pagans, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, if we want to pray like priests, we need to throw away our bargaining mentality. We need to discard that instinct to want to appease God, to want to cut a deal with God, to buy and purchase His blessing and favor. According to Jesus, that's how pagans approach prayer. It's calculative, it's obsessed with ourselves, with our performances, and it's delusional. Jesus says we are not to pray like that. When it comes to prayer, the first thing we are concerned about cannot be, how many times a day do I pray? Are my prayers long enough? Do I repeat my prayer requests sufficiently each day? That cannot be the main thing for us. Instead, when we are evaluating our prayer life, the first question we should ask is, am I pouring my heart out to God? That's the question that matters. Jesus tells us that God already knows what we need. Even before we verbalize those needs in prayer, God already knows. Even before we come to God and say, Lord, I need this and this and that, God already knows what you need and He knows how much those things mean to you. So then if God already knows what you need, then why bother praying? The answer is simple. Because prayer is not transactional. Prayer is not about you doing your best so that God can take care of the rest. Prayer is how your heart breathes. You know, throughout each day, our minds are so active, right? We have all kinds of views and opinions. We analyze, we evaluate, we plan. And then we activate our wills to act on those plans, right? We push ourselves to do the things we need to do. And then we engage some of the emotions that we think will help us to achieve our goals. And then those other emotions, right? Those that are not so helpful emotions, what we do is that we usually suppress them. And we tend to do this day in, day out. And along the way, we find ourselves suddenly sighing. Sigh so much. Suddenly we're daydreaming. 
suddenly we find ourselves scrolling through social media and then we ask ourselves, hey, I thought I, thought I was doing my work. How come, when did I come on my app? And these are all signs, all symptoms of the fact that our hearts cannot breathe. The true fears, the true longings, the deep desires, the deep concerns, all these things are not being addressed and the heart cannot breathe. And when we pray, we tend to bring our minds to God. Lord, I need to do this. Please help me. Or we bring our wills to God and we say, Lord, enable me. Help me be willing to do what I need to do. Or we bring our emotions to God and we say, Lord, give me more joy. You know, help me feel your peace. Take away my sense of frustration. Take away that feeling of being stressed. And God hears all these things and says, nothing wrong with all these things. But what God desires most is that we pour out our hearts before Him. That we don't just bring our minds or our wills, our emotions, but that we open up to Him with all sincerity. That you come into His presence and you catch your breath. God wants to hear what your deep fears are. What you seriously long for, what you're desiring after. What those concerns that are crippling your heart, that you're trying so hard to ignore, those are the things that God wants to engage us with. And that's what we see Jesus doing so many times in the Bible. Early in the morning, Jesus would enter that secret place with God and he would just pour his heart out. Right? And we see this most clearly when we see how sincerely Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's what we're called to. You know, previous generations of Christians used to wake up at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m. just to spend hours in prayer. Now, I'm sure they had a certain structure to how they prayed. I'm sure they had a prayer pointers in mind. But if you read some of their stories, you know that those times of prayer were precious times of wrestling with God, of weeping and repentance, of joyful adoration, of desperate pleading. They poured out their hearts in prayer. Now, I'm not asking you to wake up at 3 a.m. to pray, though. If that is what the Lord is challenging you to do, then, you know, so be it. But what I'm saying is that start by stealing moments away with your God. Even if you are a full-time mom and you are perpetually at the beck and call of your needy children, terrible tyrants in your life, Find those pockets of time, 10 seconds, half a minute, a handful of minutes, just to steal away into the secret place with God. And that may be in your toilet, that may be in a, behind a closed door, but just come before the Lord and pour out your heart. Tell Him, Lord, I'm scared that I'm not going to get through the day. Help me, Father. Lord, I just really want to rest. Help me, Father. Lord, I feel so alone. Would you be the lover of my soul, Father? Steal moments away with your God. Enter the secret place. Pour out your heart with all sincerity. It may be in the middle of work. It may be right before your tuition starts. Anytime, anyway, pray. So to pray like a priest means praying in secret. It means praying with sincerity. And our Father who is in secret, our Father who already knows our every need, Jesus says in no uncertain terms, our Father will reward us. Now Jesus has made 
a convincing case for why we should pray and how we should pray. He's not only shown us the right way to pray, he's also exposed the wrong ways to pray. Jesus has also very practically taught us how to pray. But I wonder how many of us will walk away from this sermon and apply what Jesus has taught us and experience a transformation in our prayer lives. You know, when Jesus was teaching about prayer, there was a huge multitude of people before him, probably in the thousands. And I estimate that the number of people who heard what Jesus said and then went on to do what Jesus said, I estimate that that number to be a grand total of zero. Now, why do I say this? I look at Jesus' 12 disciples. They were right there at the front row as Jesus was teaching. But even after Jesus' teaching, even with Jesus' example for them, the disciples are still not known for their prayer. They are unable to cast out that particular demon which Jesus later cast out, saying that such demons can only be cast out through prayer. And it's like, what? Didn't disciples pray? Like, what are they doing? And then you see in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus invites the disciples to join him in that secret place for a time of sincere prayer. But all the disciples fell asleep. There was no interest. There was no delight. They preferred sleep. And the sad truth is that Jesus can give us all the knowledge. He can give us all the strategies. He can illuminate what's right, what's wrong. He can convince us. He can inspire us. And maybe for a couple of days, we'll try and apply some of the things Jesus says. But after that, we kind of return back to normal. Why is that? People, it's because we are not naturally priests. Being priests doesn't come naturally to us. Instead, we're actually Pharisees and pagans by nature. Even with God, we are calculative, we are manipulative, we are more interested in what other people think. We approach God on our own, ther- on our own terms, and we're often hypocritical and delusional. And so even Jesus' teachings, even Jesus' example, they're not going to change anything. The words of Scripture can illuminate, can instruct, can rebuke, but we still walk away no different from before. People, it is our hearts that need to be changed. Our Pharisaic, paganistic hearts need to be transformed. And that's why Jesus doesn't just say, you know what, I've already taught you. Just go ahead and do it. But Jesus goes to the cross. You know, Jesus loved the secret place. He loved being in in solitude with his Father. But on the cross, Jesus was thrust into the spotlight. Jesus hung before the Romans, then the Jews, before the pagans and the Pharisees. But not only that, on the cross, Jesus was placed in the most public platform in all history. You know, even today, everyone, right, from university lecturers to coffee shop uncles, from philosophers to taxi drivers, from Hollywood stars to politicians, everyone has an opinion on Jesus. Jesus on the cross has become the subject of books and plays and songs and movies and poetry and art, and not all of them view Jesus in the best light. But when Jesus went to the cross, he was standing in the most public street corner in all history. 
from third world countries to first world countries. Jesus is evaluated not only in English, but in Nepali, in Teochew, in Urdu, in German, in all kinds of other languages. Jesus on the cross became simultaneously the most revered and the most hated, the most political and the most philosophical. And he ultimately is the most controversial subject in all history. And what an opportunity for Jesus. All eyes are on him. This is the time to be seen by others. This is the time to reveal how holy, how powerful, how spiritual a man he is. But instead, Jesus is treated like a Pharisee, like a pagan. In the midst of his agonies on the cross, Jesus seeks out the secret place. He tries to come before the Father to pour his heart out, but to his dismay, he couldn't find the Father. Now imagine having by far the worst day of your life. Worst day at school, worst day at work, and you whip out your handphone, you want to call your best friend, you just need a listening ear, you just need a comforting presence. And you try and find your your friends, your best friend's contact, but you can't find it. You try and try, but you just can't find that contact. You're desperate, you're frustrated, and suddenly this thought comes to your mind. Did my best friend block my number? Did my best friend in all the world cut me off? Why would she do that? Why would she abandon me at the lowest point in my life when I so needed her? And that's what Jesus was going through, only infinitely worse. And even though physically, while hanging on the cross, Jesus is struggling to breathe, his heart cannot remain silent. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And these words go unanswered. It's as if Jesus was no different from a pagan. His prayer is just heaping up of empty phrases. And Jesus dies alone and cut off from his heavenly father. Now, why did Jesus have to go through that? Why was Jesus denied access to that secret place? Why was Jesus' prayer ignored by the father? And didn't the father already know what his son needed before he even asked? People, what Jesus went through is what every one of us as Pharisees and pagans deserve. We deserve to be cut off. We deserve to be ignored. We deserve to die alone and forgotten in our sin. But Jesus suffered what we deserve so that we might enjoy what he alone is worthy of. Because of his death and resurrection, the secret place is now open. The veil is torn. We can enter the most holy place, the most secret place. And we have a God who welcomes us and who is ready to reward us. And it is Jesus who now holds the door open for us. His blood spilled for us is like a red carpet breaking into the secret place. His broken body is like the forceful breaking down of the door into that secret place. And you and I, by Jesus' death and resurrection, we now can enter in. And that's what we must do. People, would you take time this week, every day of this week, would you take time to enter the secret place with gratitude? Wherever you find space, that's fine. Come before your God who is in secret, who sees in secret. Come in the name of Jesus. Enter in by the red carpet of his blood. Enter through the door of his broken flesh. And every day as you do that, would you just say to your father, thank you for inviting me 
into your secret place. Thank you for inviting me into the secret place. And then linger on. It doesn't matter how long, linger on. Seconds that you can spend there, minutes that you can spend there, hours that you can spend there, that's up to you. But linger on and pour out your heart to Him. People, would you do this every day in the next week? Every day, enter the secret place by the blood of Jesus. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father, we are tremendously, tremendously grateful, Lord, that you have welcomed us, that you invite us into the secret place to be with you, to know you, to encounter you, to pour out even the troubles and the joys of our heart before you. And Lord, though you are God, of all the universe, the holy God enthroned in the heavens, yet you would come condescend to where we are. You would open the door to yourself so that we in our imperfections, in our in the confusion of our sinful minds and sinful desires, that you would accept, Lord, the things that we have to say. That you would even reward us, Lord, for pouring out our hearts before you. Father, we're grateful, Lord. Jesus, we thank you for taking the rejection we deserve. Lord, as Pharisees, our prayers deserve to be rejected on account of our pride. As pagans, our prayers deserve to fall flat on the ground because we insult and we dishonor the Father's holiness. But thank you, Jesus, for taking that rejection in our place, Lord. Jesus, thank you also for laying down the red carpet with your blood. Thank you for breaking down the door into God's presence, even at the cost of your own body. Father, our Savior, we want to respond in repentance. Forgive us for directing our prayers to people rather than to you. Forgive us for thinking we can manipulate you through our prayers. Forgive us for dishonoring your holiness. And Lord, we want to respond also by taking up this mantle as priests that with all humility, we will draw near to the Father. We will daily enter that secret place, the holy place, that we will pray with sincerity, pouring out our hearts before the God who is in secret, who sees in secret, and who will reward us. Thank you for teaching us, Father, to be truly human again. Thank you for this gift of prayer. We bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg.